welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God as held by the historic Christian Church have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Through this podcast, you'll hear general and breakout sessions from our conventions and meetings and the Council's official resolutions and publications. Today's podcast is a message given by Rev. Jonathan Smith at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. Jonathan is the pastor of Tipton Bible Church in Tipton, Iowa, and the current president of the ACCC. This message was the opening message of our 82nd Annual Convention, speaking on the convention theme, A Holy God, A Holy Church. Thank you, Brother Dan. And I would add my welcome uh, to that of our executive secretary. It is a joy uh, to be back at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. And we were here, I believe, uh, back in October of uh, 2016. And we enjoyed our time with you then. And we are grateful for the gracious hospitality that has been offered to us already. Uh, Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're looking at a number of scripture passages tonight. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2 will be our starting point. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. And let's look to the Lord in prayer before we consider his word together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness and glory of who you are. Lord, you are a holy God. There is no one like you. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, that we might worship you in the beauty of holiness. Oh Lord, may the response of our hearts to your holiness be that of a desire, an earnest desire to be a holy people set apart to you, separated from evil, from sin. Oh Lord, we are so needy. We are weak. We are frail. We fail you so often. Lord, strengthen us that we might walk in a way that is truly pleasing to you. Father, we ask tonight that you would fill me with your spirit for the preaching of your word. Lord, we would ask that you would fill all of us with your spirit in our response to the truth of your word. That that word might be applied in our hearts and lives, in our churches every aspect of our lives by the grace and power of God. Lord, we thank you for that which you alone are able to accomplish. And we pray it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy as the Lord, 
for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. The topic assigned to us this evening is indeed a great subject and worthy of careful consideration. A holy God, a holy church. And this is a, our convention theme this week. A great theme for us to have throughout this convention. And a wonderful resolution on that theme tonight. Um, I, I, we, I, we could just read it again and be done. Uh, but we won't do that. God is holy. And we consider, first of all, this evening, that God is holy in his person. To be holy means to be separate, set apart. This means that God is completely distinct, utterly unique. He is separate above and beyond all else. There is no one else like him. And we find this truth expressed in the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. In Isaiah chapter 40, God challenged his wayward people who had turned aside to worship worthless idols. In Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 18. To whom then... Will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stalks shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? And the answer is, no one can compare to the one who is holy. Throughout the servant songs of Isaiah, the Lord continues to repeat this theme and challenges people. Isaiah 44, verse 8. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. The omniscient Lord knows of no other God. Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. No one and nothing in all heaven and earth can compare to the greatness of the God who alone is holy. Psalm 89, verse 6 
Psalm 89, 6. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? Who can be compared unto the Lord? Not the highest archangel in heaven and not the mightiest man on earth. When compared to the infinite greatness of a holy God, we are but worms and dust and ashes. Whole nations of men are like the small dust of the scale that the merchant doesn't even wipe away because it's of no weight or consequence. The hordes of hell tremble and fear before him lest he torment them before the time. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. God is holy. And not only does his holiness signify that he is incomparably separate from all others, in the absolute purity of his holiness, he is entirely separate from all sin and evil. In Habakkuk 1.13, the prophet acknowledged, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. God in holiness is completely set apart from sin. The wicked of this world ignore God, blaspheme God, disobey God, deny God. And then when things go wrong, they blame God. But God is holy. He is separate from all sin. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Sin separates man from a holy God. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. God is holy. He is always separate From all sin. He cannot allow sin to dwell in his presence. Psalm chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5. Psalm 5 verses 4 and 5. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest All workers of iniquity. Very strong language from our Lord. You see, folks, God is never neutral in regard to sin. He loves righteousness and hates iniquity. And verse 5 here says he hates all the workers of iniquity. God is holy and just in the judgment that he must render against the wicked. For the wages of sin is death. Furthermore, the holiness of God governs the entirety of his being. Psalm 111.9 says, Holy and reverend is his name. His name stands for everything that he is. Isaiah 57 verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, 
I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He is the high and lofty one. No one is higher. He is eternal with no beginning or end. That his name is holy signifies that holiness is truly the primary attribute of God. Because it characterizes all of his other attributes. God is holy in love. He is holy in wisdom, in power, in justice, in righteousness, in goodness, in mercy, in grace, in truth. In each of his infinite perfections, he is holy. Completely separate from all sin and completely above and beyond all others. Man in his total depravity constantly rebels against God's holiness. They turn aside to idols. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They give themselves wholeheartedly to all that is evil and unholy in the eyes of God. But God says to them in Psalm 50 verse 1, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. You see, man ever has a propensity to demean and dilute the true holiness of God. To, as it were, bring God down to our, le- to our own level. And sometimes this is done in a, in a self-effort to understand God apart from revelation. Sometimes it is done to somehow make God more humanly comprehensible and relatable to man. So in many churches, instead of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, instead of proclaiming God as he is revealed in his holy word, man imagines and proclaims a God like unto himself. But the God who is holy says, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee. And set them in order before thine eyes. Beloved, how carefully we must guard our hearts and minds. Lest we end up of conceiving of and presenting God as less than he is. We are called to believe, proclaim, and defend the truth of God's holiness. God is holy in his person. But also... God is holy in his performance. Turn with me to Psalm 86, verse 8. Psalm 86. Verse 8. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. No one is like him, and no one can do what he can do. No one has ever done what he has done. Psalm 145, verse 17. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. 
Isaiah chapter 6. And here we find that vision of Isaiah. And we look at verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we notice here briefly that the angels of God continue to worship the holiness and greatness of God in his person and in his work of creation. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is truth that grips the hearts of the angels. In Job 38, 4, it was God who laid the foundation of the earth. And when he did, verse 7 says that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job wasn't there, but the angels were. They witnessed his work of creation. They beheld the beauty, the immensity, and the perfection of his handiwork. They see his continued work of providence in the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. And they praise and worship the greatness of his holiness. We can think of his work of revelation. God gave the law to man, which revealed his holy character. And the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. He gave us the holy scriptures, Romans 1, 2, and the words of his holiness, Jeremiah 23, 9. We could speak of the holy work of his sovereignty, Psalm 99. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. We look around us today and see the increase of evil and all of the turmoil and strife that comes with that evil. And yet we know that our God is in control. Psalm 47.8 says, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. Now he reigns in the midst of his enemies, as Psalm 110.2 says. But we remember the blessed assurance of Psalm 2. In spite of all opposition, God says, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. But as we contemplate the work of God, we think most of all of his holy work of redemption. Turn with me to Psalm 24. 
verse 3. Psalm 24, verse 3. The psalmist asks, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in His holy place? Who is able to enter into the very presence of God and be accepted there? Answer, verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. The truth of God's word is that no sinner can stand in the presence of a holy God. Not one. None of us. None of us have clean hands and a pure heart. The only one who is uniquely qualified by virtue of his person and work is the one we see in verses 8 through 10 called the King of Glory. Jesus Christ, our Savior. The infinite chasm between a holy God and sinful man necessitated a mediator who is fully man and holy God. And thus, thus God sent his son. He is called the Holy One. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. We see his holiness in the purity of his moral character, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. We see his holiness in the righteousness of his life, by which he perfectly kept the law of God. We see it in his complete conformity to his Father's will. We see it in his once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Turn with me to Psalm 22. Just back a chapter, a couple of chapters. In Psalm 22, that prophecy of our Savior's sacrifice upon the cross. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 3. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. What a holy scene this is. Our holy Savior confesses the holiness of the Father at the moment of his greatest agony. When he bore our sins upon himself and he endured the torment and suffering of separation from his father, he cried to his father, yet there was no immediate answer to his cry. But in verse 3, we find that which sustained him in his hour of anguish. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Beloved, this is the testimony of our Savior concerning the nature and work of God, even at the very time when it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This was a divine viewpoint, for no man would have ever proclaimed it. This was a testimony of perfect knowledge. 
A testimony from the one who had dwelt with the Father from all eternity past. It was a testimony of trust in the one who is always faithful. In the one who dwelt in the presence of the continual praises of his people. And what joy it is to know that on the cross, the payment for our sin was paid in full. The holy justice of God was satisfied. Our Lord was holy in his sacrifice as the Lamb of God. He was holy in the triumph of his resurrection. He was holy in his glorious ascension and in his exaltation to the right hand of the Father, there to intercede for guilty sinners. Beloved, this was a holy work in power, in purity, in preeminence. As there is no one who can be likened unto God, so there never has and never will be any work that can compare to his work of redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Psalm 98.1, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. No wonder then that our Savior has been given a name that is above every name. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We are slowly working our way to the assigned passages. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Verses 21 through 23. And here the apostle speaks of the fact that Christ has been exalted in the heavenlies. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. In his exaltation, Christ is now the head of the church. And we turn over to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, we have seen that God is holy in his person. God is holy in his performance. And now we consider that God is holy in his purpose. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Verse 25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Here is a reference to that holy work of redemption. 
Christ loved the church with a sacrificial love. He delivered himself up in willing sacrifice for the church. Acts 20, 28 speaks of the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church is that assembly of called out ones, made up of all of those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They are those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The church is spoken of as a building. It is called the house of God and a holy temple. It is called the bride of Christ and it is the body of Christ. As such, it is a living organism of which Christ is the head. The world ridicules and scorns the church. They fail to recognize the value and significance of the church and thus they mock and deride her. They oppose and persecute her. They rejoice when any ill befalls her. On September 24th, 2023, News Nation published an online article called The Great De-Churching Hitting Cities Across America. The article states that recent statistics indicate many Americans are undergoing a process known as de-churching, wherein those who used to attend church at least once a month now go less than once a year. And some rejoice in this de-churching movement. The article quotes a TikTok theologian. Uh, you heard me correctly. <laughs> Donnell McLaughlin, who supports the de-churching movement. He said, quote, I'm not coming across as anti-Christian because I'm not anti-Christian. I am pro-religion and pro-people hanging on to ideas that ultimately help them grow into better people, end quote. But folks, growing into better people is not the goal. The goal is to grow in holiness, to become more like Christ. Anything less than that utterly fails to uphold God's purpose for his church. The article claims that, quote, over the last 25 to 30 years, this shift has led to 40 million people ceasing their regular church attendance. Ryan Burge, an associate professor of political science, was quoted as saying, there's actually more people who left religion then joined religion during the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and all of the Billy Graham Crusades combined, end quote. Some are consumed with how to win back those who left the church. Others note a shift from religion to spirituality exemplified in the more inclusive contemporary worship that appeals to a younger audience. Still others bemoan the empty, decaying church buildings left behind by the de-churching movement. <clears throat> but listen, folks, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. 1 John 2.19 
And we recognize as well that many of the churches that have closed down and sit abandoned and in disrepair were never part of the true church. The vast majority of these ought to be closed for good because they preached a social gospel instead of the gospel of Christ. They denied the authority and truth of God's word and proclaimed the wisdom of man instead. And yet, sadly, many Bible-believing fundamental churches have dwindled and in some cases closed. Many who claim to be Christians have failed to give to the church the value and priority that God has given to the church. Christ loved the church and bought the church with his own blood. The church is precious to our Savior. In Ephesians 5, verses 26 and 27, <clears throat> we find the holy purpose that God has for his church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. In verse 25, we saw what Christ accomplished for his church in the past. In verse 26, we see his present purpose for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. The word sanctify means to consecrate, set apart, purify, or make holy. The word cleanse here identifies how the sanctifying is achieved. There are different interpretations among good men here. I believe what is communicated is that in sanctification, we are cleansed by the word of Christ. The imagery is the washing of water, and the cleansing agent in this verse is the word. And here, it is rhematos, not logos, emphasizing the spoken word. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 3, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. How vital it is in Christ's present purpose for his church that the faithful proclamation of God's word remains the central focus of the church. That is not a popular concept in today's evangelical churches. The word is proclaimed, yes, but, but other things have taken center stage. And yet it is God's work through his holy word by which he teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, and instructs us in righteousness. And it is in hearing and obeying that word that the church becomes more holy. The church today is by and large not progressing in holiness because they have minimized the preaching of God's word. They have been careless in handling God's word and they have become very selective in what they are willing to hear and obey from God's word. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Another passage assigned to us tonight in 2 Corinthians 6 verses 14 through 18. And here we find a very specific word of the Lord that relates to his purpose for his church to be holy. 
2 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? In what communion hath light with darkness? In what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The command here to not be unequally yoked together alludes to the law in Deuteronomy 22.10, which, which forbids plowing with an ox and a donkey together. And the parallel that Paul makes here is that we as believers are not to be yoked together in working relationships with unbelievers. Particularly, they are not to be joined with the lost in spiritual endeavors. The apostle was calling these believers to discontinue a practice in which they were engaged. The language is saying, stop being unequally yoked together. Evangelicals have often ignored this passage and have set aside the truth of it. Many have notably argued that this passage refers to a call to the Corinthians to separate themselves from their past life of idolatry. And certainly that is a part of what he has in mind, as we can see in verse 16. However, that is only a part of the context. Because Paul also in this epistle warned them of the false teachers who were among them, who attacked Paul's person and message and added the necessity of works to grace. Paul spoke of these in chapter 11 who glory after the flesh. And Paul says of them in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Paul here digs beneath the facade of pleasant words and admirable works and identifies who and what they are. False teachers, those who deny the truth of God's word, and they are the ministers of Satan. Be careful. There are many more of them today. And they are very deceptive. So be discerning. The command is clear in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Don't yoke together with them. Come out from among them and be separate. This command applies to personal separation as well as ecclesiastical separation. In this passage, Paul goes on to list five contrasts that demonstrate that a believer yoked with an unbeliever is an unequal yoke. They, they are completely incompatible in character. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? In kingdom, 
What communion hath light with darkness? In service, what concord hath Christ with Belial? In association, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? In worship, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? The emphatic answer to these questions is none. The believer is to have no participation with lawlessness, no partnership with darkness, no harmony with Satan, no share in common with an unbeliever, and no agreement with idols. These things are mutually exclusive. And we understand that that this is not teaching isolationism, 1 Corinthians 5.10. We are to love the lost and seek to be salt and light. But folks, there is no way to be salt and light if we have unholy associations and alliances. Christ says to us in 2 Corinthians 6.17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Our holy God, is set apart above all others and completely separate from all sin. Our holy Christ was separate from sinners, Hebrews 7.26. He came in love to seek and to save that which was lost. But he had no unholy participation with sinners. A holy God calls his church to be holy. And a part of that holiness is being set apart unto God and separate from sin in every aspect of our lives. Come out from among them, and be separate are commands that call for decisive action. Verse 17, And touch not the unclean thing. What is unclean here is the ungodly partnerships and unholy associations spoken of in verses 14 through 16. In verses 17 and 18, the Lord gives to us a precious promise of reception, fellowship, and sonship to those who obey this command. Beloved, the church is not holy today because they have failed to separate themselves from things that are unholy. They have failed to make a clear distinction between the holy and the profane. In some cases, they have welcomed with open arms the purveyors of false doctrine. And in many cases, they have fellowshiped with those who have refused to separate from false teachers. Christ, in his holy purpose for the church, commands us to come out from among them and be separate. Will we heed his voice? Or will we be like those who fail to be holy because they are bent on conforming themselves to the pattern, philosophies, and practices of this world, rather than being transformed by the word of the living God. Some evangelicals have exposited this text accurately, teaching the truths of ecclesiastical separation, but then they have failed to apply these truths to their own ministry associations. And it is not just evangelicals that fail to put these truths into practice. We have not arrived to perfection in holiness. The goal of holiness is is the goal of Christ-likeness. 
That goal, that goal is far above us. But dear ones, don't lower the standard. Don't ignore the commands of God. The holiness of God is the standard both for individual believers and for His church corporately. Hold high the standard of God's Word and seek the grace and strength of the Lord to keep reaching forward to that great goal. We see churches all around us today that have given up the standard of God's holiness. Many have decided to be governed by the preferences, desires, and impulses of the natural man instead of what is truly holy unto the Lord. Whether it is by some form of the social gospel, whether it is by a shift toward entertainment or a worship centered on emotion, man becomes the central focus instead of a holy God. In so many churches, holiness has been dismissed as something relatively unimportant. They have replaced holiness with the concepts of love and unity as being the most important virtues to be emphasized and practiced at all cost. But love and unity without holiness is not biblical love or unity. In the name of Christian love, all manner of vile wickedness has been welcomed into the church. But Christ says, come out from among them and be separate. C.H. Spurgeon wrote an article in 1888 called The Drift of the Times, Sound the Alarm. And in it, he set forth the reasons he separated from the compromising London Baptist Association. He said, quote, Confederacies founded upon the principle that all may enter whatever views they hold are based upon disloyalty to the truth of God. If truth is optional, error is justifiable. He went on to say, The party everywhere apparent has a faith fashioned for the present century. Perhaps we ought rather to say for the present month. The 16th century gospel it derides, and that indeed of every period except the present most enlightened era. It will have no creed because it can have none. It is continually on the move. It is not what it was yesterday, and it will not be tomorrow what it is today. Its shout is for liberty. Its delight is invention. Its element is change. On the other hand, there still survive among the blaze of 19th century light a few superior persons call fossils. <laughs> that is to say, there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who consider that the true gospel is no new gospel, but is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These do not believe in advanced views, but judge that the view of truth which saved a soul in the second century will save us all now, and that a form of teaching which was unknown to the last few years is of very dubious value and is in all probability another gospel, which is not another. End quote. How timely and relevant those words are for us today. Listen, a failure of the church 
to lift up a distinct testimony for the Lord because of sin, unbelief, complacency, or compromise is a failure to fulfill the purpose that Christ has for his church to be holy. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, sometimes we get discouraged because of the struggle and because we are keenly aware of our own failures. We can sometimes despair that that God's purpose of holiness will will ever be accomplished. But as we look at Ephesians 5, verse 27, we are greatly encouraged. For here we see Christ's ultimate purpose for His church. Verse 27, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is our future with Christ. And it is certain and sure. Christ will complete his work in us. He is the one in verse 25 who loved the church and gave himself for it. He is the one in verse 26 who is at work sanctifying and cleansing the church by the washing of his word. He is the one in verse 27 who will one day present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it shall be holy and without blemish. It shall be then what it is not yet now. The subjunctive case here signifies what will happen in the future. This is the bride of Christ made perfectly holy. No spot or wrinkle or any such thing. No defilement of impurity within or without. And we note here concerning this ultimate purpose that not having spot and without blemish are the very characteristics of Christ himself. We are redeemed, 1 Peter 1.19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What a day that will be when the bride of Christ shall stand before him made holy as he is holy. By his holy character and by his holy work of redemption and by his holy power by which he shall glorify us in his presence. We have considered tonight God's holiness in his person, in his performance, and in his purpose. How will we respond to God's holiness? The word of God reveals the responses God expects from his people to the truth of his holiness. Trust, humility, repentance, reverence obedience, praise, worship, surrender, as well as the fervent desire to be holy. How holy we ought to be in faith, in truth, in virtue, in purity, in love, in unity, in devotion, in zeal, in labor, in testimony, in word, in witness, in fellowship. 
Holiness is God's purpose for us and it ought to be the priority of our lives. Oh, that we might earnestly desire with Paul to apprehend that for which also we are apprehended. And there are warnings here that that we need as Bible-believing fundamentalists. We could focus on the, the, the external appearance of holiness without the inward reality of it. Uh, the external is important, but God desires a transformation that takes place from the inside out. We could focus on holiness and be lifted up in our hearts with pride, with a spirit in which we view ourselves as the only ones who are holy and true. But Isaiah 57, 15 comes to mind. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God's holiness calls us to our knees. God's holiness calls us to be humble. When Isaiah saw the thrice holy God high and lifted up, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Beloved, If we see the Lord as he is revealed in his word, we will see our true condition and humble ourselves before him. But also, beloved, we so easily become complacent and content with where we are now in our sanctification, and we fail to press upward in holiness. We love the promise of 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And what a wonderful assurance that God's purpose for us to be holy will finally be accomplished. But verse 3 goes on to say, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If at the end we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The question is, what are we looking at right now? Stephen Charnock, in his book, The Existence and Attributes of God, gave this illustration and challenge. Quote, a painter employed in the limbing some excellent piece has not only his pattern before his eyes, but his eye frequently upon the pattern to possess his fancy to draw forth an exact resemblance. He that would express the image of God must imprint upon his mind the purity of his nature, cherish it in his thoughts, that the excellent beauty of it may pass from his understanding to his affections and from his affections to his practice. How can we arise to conformity to God in Christ, whose most holy nature we seldom glance upon, 
and more rarely sink our souls into the depths of it by meditation. Be frequent in the meditation of the holiness of God. End quote. Amen. We close tonight with a closing testimony of C.H. Spurgeon in his article, The Drift of the Times, Sound the Alarm. Quote, At any rate, cost what it may, to separate ourselves from those who separate themselves from the truth of God is not alone our liberty, but our duty. I have raised my protest in the only complete way by coming forth, and I shall be content to abide alone until the day when the Lord shall judge the secrets of all hearts. But it will not seem to me a strange thing if others are found faithful, and if others judge that for them also there is no path but that which is painfully apart from the beaten track. End quote. Amen. May that be our testimony together in the ACCC and in the true church of Jesus Christ for the glory of God until that great day when we are made perfectly holy in his very presence. Amen.